0: Welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review our show. I'm your host, Wayne Blue, and today I'm joined by an unknown sports dude from Rogers. No, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, it's the new co-host of Drive Time, Blake Murphy, producer... <music> Murphy Tuesday! This the
1: first one of the year? I guess we did a Thursday, right? We for, did a Blake Murphy
0: Thursday, yeah, yeah, randomly. With no drop. With no drop, yeah, sorry. No, Derek what does was,
1: Derek do back there? He makes one drop for the whole season. and uh, He's chewing, man. He's having yeah. lunch. He hit the Portuguese bakery before he came in.
0: Called Dench. Shout out once again.
1: Oh, granola bar. Thought oh, he had okay, that well. pop of Shit.
0: All right, this is not the intro I wanted, but uh that's no. okay. Uh Blake, how you doing, man? Welcome back to the show. People have missed you. Obviously, you know, the the Blue Jay season ended uh prematurely, and so you were freed from uh Jay's Talk plus duties, and then of course you took some time off, which I think everyone was very happy to see because of the fact that you're the hardest working man in the city, not even just in sports media, and now um now you're back where you belong. Tuesdays with me. How you that's doing, right. man? How was your break?
1: Uh, I'm good, man. It was uh, it was a good break. It was a short-ish break, but I got down to Cuba for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I see um, a little
0: I see a little coloration. Yeah, you know, like. I got
1: to be real careful with the sunscreen because these you right, don't want yeah, right. to. I don't want to have like old sailor tattoos. I mean, okay, they're, they're tattoos. They're going to look bad when I'm fifty anyway. But um, no, <laughs> yeah. you want to be careful. So I, I I don't know. It was it was nice though to get away for a couple days. Um, I only but, missed two Raptors games. I just watched them on PVR when I got back. And wow, uh, yeah, man.
0: That is one of the underrated things about going to Cuba is like you really get to disconnect just on purpose, like not even by choice. What are you going to do? Just read books. Just go in there, read books, be outside, have, uh, you know. I read four books while I was there. Yeah. Which was great. Yeah.
1: yeah. Nice. Not enough Wi Fi to really do any. Like I listened to the two World Series games on radio on my phone. Okay. But I didn't have, I I couldn't get that one. I couldn't get enough signal though to watch them. I tried the first Raptors game, I, I was down there for the two Philly games. Um, and I tried for the first one; it just wasn't worth it.
0: Mm. All right, um, that's enough baseball talk. Because uh, for myself, I watched maybe five seconds of the World Series. Um, congrats, I guess, to the Astros. I guess they're just really good, with or without cheating. They're just really good, huh? Yeah, that's tough. So you win the you win the title by banging some garbage cans, but then you win the title without the garbage cans. That's here's the thing. It's a very interesting story in baseball versus basketball.
1: Basketball, I think, of the major four North American sports. And you could probably throw soccer in there, too. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I feel like basketball is the one we're most certain that maybe the best team didn't win, but a really, really good team won.
0: Yes, always. Yeah.
1: Baseball, we don't get that as much. Hockey playoffs are pretty random. You run into a hot goalie or whatever. Yeah, and we've seen statistically it's really hard to predict what's going to happen in the NHL playoffs. Um, baseball. You kind of have to look at like, okay, well, what has this team done over the last like five, six, seven years? Like the Dodgers have made the playoffs nine or ten years in a row, set records for like the best record over multi-season spans, and they got one World
0: Series in there. Yeah, no, this is why this is why I love basketball for that reason. Is like you have basically like a hundred possessions offensively uh, and one hundred percent defensively, right? Um, it's just. There's justice in yes, basketball, yeah. and then there's w- within each um, possession you can have zero, one, two, three—I guess four—potentially, but realistically, zero, one, two, three points. When you have that many flips of the coin, essentially, like you're really getting to a quality result at the end of the game. Yes, games could be close and be decided by some random things. You know, you have some cold nights here or there, but over the course of an eight-two season, when you have like 200 possessions a game. And you have such a, you know, distinct set of outcomes in each possession, like you're really gonna get to who is the best team. And I mentioned and this, then yeah, the playoffs is also seven games too. So, you know. And
1: I, I mentioned this on air yesterday on the fan drive time, and one of the things that really highlights how quickly and effectively basketball tells you who the good teams are, mm-hmm. is we're we're only eleven games in right now, so we're not there yet. But the NBA standings are pretty stable after twenty games. Yeah. Once we're 20 games in, you look at the net rating leaderboard, you look at who's in a playoff position, who's not. A, a little less so now with the play-in spots, but we know pretty early who's yes. who's legitimate and who's not. Utah Jazz, baby. <laughs> Championship think, contender, Utah Jazz
0: coming to a city near you. I think that one will maybe fall off, but... You know Danny Age is down bad. <laughs> He's down so bad. He's like, I just tanked my whole team, and now we're the best in the in the West.
1: Yeah, Shams did that Larry Markkinen interview today. And I was half expecting, like, midway through Shams to get the alert that markinen has been traded because Utah keeps winning too many games.
0: Oh. Uh, You know what? That's that's, Yeah, it's a surprisingly good story there. But, you know, you're right. Like, basketball really does give you um, some pretty telling results. And, you know, I think for right now, um, the Raptors, I think, are top ten in both offense and defense, which is nice to see. Of course, it really does help when the – blow out two games by like combined 60 points but yeah but a lot of these stats like cleaning the glass for example will take that out
1: right mm, they'll, they'll right, eliminate right, right. the garbage time so yeah two blowouts in 11 games still affects things a lot but you can still pretty confidently say i think that especially given the the strength of schedule that the raptors have at least been a very good defense mm-hmm. fifth in defensive rating when you take out uh take out garbage time tenth in offense is i think kind of on the upside of what we would have thought was possible for them
0: yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. If you yeah. told me preseason that this is what's going to happen, I'd be thrilled. Um, less so last night. Well, that's what I'm going to say. Less so last night because the Raptors lose uh, 111 to 97 against the Bulls. This is one of those games where the game is over and, you, you know, if you're in media, you, you do your little recaps or you, you write your little column and then you just go to sleep and you wake up and you forget everything that happened. Like, I really had to go through my notes and just be like, oh, yeah, this play happened, this play happened. It was just such a very – it's just a, 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 a bore. The game last night. And that's not to say that the Raptors didn't give effort. That's not to say that it wasn't, like, tactically, you know, intriguing. It's just, like, the way the game played out. There's a lot of complaining in the third quarter to the officials. Uh, there was some conspiracy talk. You know, we'll get to all of those. But realistically, it just didn't look like a game where the Raptors were going to be that competitive. You know, I was looking at the stats after the game. Um, the key categories for the Raptors, uh, fast break points. They lost 16 to 13. You're not Which- going to win games it's got to be
1: the first time that's happened this year, right? That Prob- they lost fast break or, Probably. or they certainly haven't won a game where they lost fast break. points. They I definitely have not
0: won a game where they have lost a fast break advantage. Um, they also lost 11 to four in second chance points, only four second chance points, which does sound pretty well for the Raptors. Who had 23 offensive rebounds against this exact same Chicago Bulls team on Sunday, but they only had three through three quarters uh in yesterday's loss they also lost 23 to 21 in points off turnovers as well. So like look, you're just not going to win a game like that. I yeah. with the Raptors. And I think the Bulls
1: deserve some of the credit for that. I thought okay. that yeah. the Raptors on the offensive glass was something that Chicago just straight up did a better job of. Hmm. And we thought that maybe that would happen going into the first game. Nikola Vucevic historically has a, a pretty good on-off impact on, on what other teams are able to do on Chicago's glass in part because they play that conservative style yeah. with him dropping back, especially when Damara and Zach Levine are on the perimeter. Um, I thought they did a better job kind of scheming around that. I thought Vucevic had a much better game defensively in general, right, and, and right. that kind of keeps him in better positions for defensive rebounds. And then, yeah, I mean, the, the truth of it is the Raptors on Sunday played about as good a game as you can hope for them to play without Pascal Siakam. And the margins are really, really small when you're missing right. your best player, a guy who's been a top five, top ten player in the league so far this year.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be a big uh, topic of conversation on today's show in terms of what some of the main players on the Raptors can be doing to sort of uh, step up their production with Pascal out. Because he's still going to be out for at least another like six games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's
1: just before the next reevaluation. We, yeah. we don't
0: know. Like, this is the third
1: time he's had a, a groin thing. And we know that with an adductor strain, like, DeMar missed 19 games a couple of years ago. That. Also against Dallas. We don't have a lot of detail beyond it's an adductor strain. Mm-hmm. We don't know, you know, is it a, a rehashing of, of the earlier things that Siakam's had because they've kept the details pretty pretty quiet on that stuff we don't know if two weeks is you know hey maybe he could come back after this or maybe it's just a check-in um not a lot of detail there but you can certainly find precedent of doctor strains not being yeah good things for for a, a longer period of time
0: yeah and it is such a shame because he was off to just an incredible start Had clearly put in a lot of work into his game in the offseason and was you know we've been having all these like grand conversations first team all nba type conversations uh so hopefully pascal's able to return soon but in the meantime though it's just as you mentioned right it it is going to be a bit of a struggle for the team you're going to have to win in the margins those are the margins fast break points second chance points points off turnovers like if the raptors aren't winning at least two of the three of those you're probably not going to see them win the game mostly because offensively it's been a struggle um now I, i think the other thing too just uh, the topic of conversation coming out of yesterday's game was the fact that the Raptors, this is already the third time they have played a set of back-to-backs against the same opponent. Um, they played in Miami twice with the day off in between. They played Philly twice uh, with the day off in between in Toronto. And now they played a home-and-home, a more traditional home-and-home, I guess, that you've seen in previous years uh, with the Bulls. All three of those, they have split one-and-one Uh, I have a theory in terms of why the Raptors may not necessarily be as effective in trying to win both of these two games. But uh, I think I just want to get to the first overall conversation of, like, are you a fan of these type of games? What are you seeing in terms of, like, why are they doing this? What are the advantages to be gained? And also, I guess, what are some of the disadvantages to be gained from playing this sort of mini playoff series within seasons? So this one
1: is not the best example because it required travel. Like, this one was there. First of all, the Raptors like to have Sunday home games. The Leafs generally have Saturday as a home game. Uh, You want one of those weekend crowds, if not two. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the NBA wanted everyone playing yesterday as a league-wide push uh, for the get-out-and-vote initiative with elections taking place in the U.S. today and the NBA off entirely. So this isn't the best example. We've seen home-and-homes like this forever in the NBA. The bigger thing that I would look at if you're trying to compare across teams is mm-hmm. how many back-to-backs do you have overall? Mm-hmm. And the Raptors were right near the bottom of the league. They have the fewest in the league remaining. Mm-hmm. So you can feel good about that. Now, in terms of the two-game series against teams, this isn't the right example, but the Philly example, and the Miami example, those are about limiting travel and cutting down on, well, if you fly to Miami and then fly back to Toronto and then fly back to Miami – and then back to Toronto, and that's your four-game set. That's a lot of extra travel versus play two here, and then later we'll play two again.
0: Makes sense.
1: That is, when you look at the amount of miles teams are traveling this year, that has a positive effect. The Raptors actually travel significantly fewer miles the rest of the season than any other team in the league, Mm. in addition to having fewer back-to-backs from here. So there is a a gain there, but it's I, I get the frustration because it's hard to grasp that, right? What we're trying to see is, okay, by April the Raptors are in a little better shape in terms of terms of cumulative load and cumulative fatigue mm-hmm. than they may have otherwise been. Um, they also, by the way, have 13 games left with a rest advantage versus seven with a rest disadvantage. Okay. So the schedule they're through the, the tough part of the schedule in terms of travel and logistics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, having said all that, I really like these two game sets. Yep. I think, the small sample data we have over the last couple seasons as they've tried more of these says what I think a lot of people feel, which is it's hard to win two in a row.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's tough. If you are a team that's a borderline playoff team, maybe the Raptors end up in April. They're a game out of home court in the first round or something like that. And you look back at one of these and it's like, man, would have loved to have not played Chicago two in a row. Could have thrown something different at them. Overall, though, I think these are the type of mini-series that prepare you better for the playoffs. Mm. I think they're more interesting for people like us from a tactical perspective. Um, I think we saw, you know, yesterday's a great example of it, where Sunday the Bulls just didn't really have an answer for the Raptors trapping DeMar DeRozan that aggressively. Yes. And sure, Zach Levine coming back was a big part of oh, how, how the Bulls handled that, but they also got much better operating in those four-on-threes that happened underneath the trap. Right. Um, the Bulls made some defensive adjustments that the Raptors couldn't really counter. They they didn't neutralize Coloco, but he was a lot less effective than he had been Sunday uh, in the pick-and-roll with Fred VanVleet. So I think those things kind of sharpen you for what's to come. If you're if you're certain, like the Raptors are, that you'll be a playoff team. Um, now, it would be cool also if there was a third one now where you got to counter adjust mm-hmm. to the adjustment. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, next time they play the Bulls or the Heat or the 76ers, that's one to look forward to go back to what the first two look like. I, I think, you know, maybe this is more on the coaching side than the player side, but I think it's going to have teams like the Raptors who play a bunch of these in better shape when it comes to what does a playoff series look like and feel like and how do you have to make those adjustments on the
0: fly yeah yeah um i think tactically it's it's definitely very interesting because you know um the the traps at demar and stuff like that i mean they threw the book at demar both these games demar had 20 in the first game which was actually when you think back on it he only took 9 shots he had like three or four and ones he was throwing up a lot of like just very impressive shots. that were going I know in you Chicago's.
1: weren't down there after the game because you had to uh-huh. do the post game pod. But Nick Nurse, like tiptoeing around, yeah, use that challenge 88 seconds into the game or whatever it was <laughs> to send a message about the Mars and ones. Like,
0: yeah, of course he did. Yeah, of course he did. Yeah, that's a uh, you know that's Nick finding another way to to be creative once again because mm-hmm. um, I believe yeah it was something like 90 seconds into the game Nick Nurse had already used his challenge. Uh, which has to be a record in the NBA for how quickly a coach's use is challenged. But going back to this idea, like for the Raptors, I think generally speaking, the way that Nick prepares his team and also the way Masai and Bobby build this team, it's a really weird construct, right? They don't fully make um, a lot of sense in terms of the traditional set. Like you're not looking at a team like Phoenix, for example, that has – a point guard and Chris Paul, a shooting guard and you know, Devin Booker, you know, a regular three, a regular I guess they don't really have a regular four, but who in the league really has a regular four nowadays? I mean, uh, yeah, Cam Johnson's center. hurt
1: now, but the Johnson bridges, those guys are both three, four enough that yeah. you can get by with it
0: anyway. Fair enough. But it's like, you know, the Raptors are obviously not like that, right? They have all the like-size players. And then of course the way the Raptors like to play. They they blitz you all the time. They they throw all these sort of traps at you. They try to just break out and transition all the time. And I think that has a harder It's harder to play this team on a random night than to play them back to back games the way that the Bulls were able to do that. Because look, the Raptors were able to use their strategy and their formula to great success on Sunday, get the win. Um, and everyone's feeling good. The next day, the Bulls just do everything you really need to do to limit the Raptors in terms of getting back in transition, in terms of we know where the – you know, you're going to trap DeMar. Clearly, it worked really well in the first game. You're going to do it again. I'm going to trap DeMar. Where is everyone else going to be? And then also the other adjustments in terms of, like, you know, the Raptors found Christian Coloco in the pick and roll for, like, four or five lobs in game one. Second game, not a single lob for Christian Coloco, Mm -hmm. right? So um, those kind of adjustments. I think the Raptors specifically and how weird they play – is going to make it even harder for them to win one of these sets of back-to-backs. Is that also sort of what you're seeing as well in terms of um, just how opposing coaches can sort of handle and prepare against the Raptors? For sure, and I don't even think it's just the coaches. I think from a player
1: perspective, a big part of the Raptors' defensive strategy is make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And something that causes you discomfort, the more you get to look at it and play with it, the more, I mean, if you're Joel Embiid, you're still kind of figuring it out. But nah, I mean. but for a lot of guys, you know, that that's... And this is part of where, in a playoff series, we've seen, or even... There was a regular season, they had a two-set against James Harden a couple years ago, and they they significantly changed their approach to James Harden mm. over two regular season games. Nick Nurse has that in him to to mix up the, the coverages like that and keep teams guessing. I think at this point in the season, they probably have opted in those back-to-backs or those two-game sets to stick with their core, like their foundational defensive identity because we're only 11 games in, and we see with the bench usage and things like that, everyone's still kind of getting up to speed on it. So I I could, I would imagine, you know, I know they have a couple of these down the stretch in the schedule as well. Maybe that's a case where they're throwing out and and maybe not, maybe you run into a potential playoff opponent. You don't want to give much away. So you just play it straight. But if they're in, you know, say late March, they have one of these and they're in let's prep for the playoffs mode. I could see them throwing two completely different coverages out there over two games, just to see, and, and just to, you know, keep an opponent uncomfortable and keep your guys ready to adjust game to game against the
0: same personnel too. Yeah, and I also think the, the the team that wins the first matchup is kind of at a disadvantage for the second matchup. Well, that's what we've seen in all three of them, right? Exactly. Raptors lost yeah. the first
1: one to Miami and then bounced back, and then Philly and Chicago, Raptors won the first one.
0: Yeah. Very, Other team yeah. won the second one. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's interesting for me, though. Like I even said before the season, that looking at the schedule, you, obviously this is what stood out, these little little mini baseball series, essentially, yeah. and it's like it's really cool to see the adjustments, um, not so cool to not see them win back-to-back games, but uh, it's, it's okay. Um, Fred Family played really well last night. Um, had played well, really well the night before as well. Um, 27 yeah. points for Fred in 34 minutes. Uh, a, a minor miracle that Nick resisted playing Fred uh, close to 40 minutes in this game where they could have really used more Fred. But, you know, Fred's been awesome, and I think he's been serving his role. But my bigger question is sort of like, okay, so with Pascal out for at least two weeks, What can each of the rest of the starters be doing to sort of improve the offense around them? And I think we have to start with Scotty Barnes, who has been a little bit underwhelming so far in the two games.
1: He certainly has. And just, you know, to kind of set the picture here, big picture, without Siakam on the floor this year so far, not a surprise that they're much worse offensively. 10.3 points per 100 possessions. That's Mm -hmm. per cleaning the glass. We're taking out garbage time here. We're not counting the... You know a Malachi Flynn, Jeff Doughton oh, lineup at, at the Was end Malachi of uh, at the play end play of a game. We played six yeah, minutes last glass. night. Yeah, uh-huh. um, that is eleven point two points per hundred possessions in the half court. So yeah, it's yeah. even more pronounced in the half court. And because of Siakam's value defensively, and he's done a really good job on the defensive glass this year as well. Yep. The Raptors get out in transition six percent less like six percentage points less often without Mm. Siakam as well. So you're seeing this in kind of every area of the offense. Now, last year, Siakam missed a bunch of time. We saw what that looked like, right? Chris Boucher, OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, and to a lesser extent, Precious Achua, all saw their usage go up. Fred was the biggest one, but we saw OG go from like 19.5 usage to like 23.5 usage. Mm. Um, The team, as you'd expect without their best player, the team's true shooting percentage dropped off without Siakam, but that is significantly bigger drop off so far this year. But you're right. I think Scotty Barnes is a big one and the most curious stat and again, tiny samples so far, but Scotty Barnes's usage is lower when Pascal's not on the floor so far this year.
0: Hmm. Why is that? Is it is it just Pascal setting him up better?
1: I think maybe the chemistry between those two is a little further along. I think maybe because Siakam, especially when Van Vliet was out, was taking on that kind of organize the offense responsibility. Whereas if it's OG or Gary Trent initiating, they're maybe not as naturally looking for for Scotty Barnes mm-hmm. and the places to get him involved, you know, whether it's at the elbow or in the post or whatever. Um, you know, some of this is, is going to fall to Fred uh, to just kind of organize everyone. And then part of it might be in this small sample, Scotty Barnes' defensive role changes, mm. and he's not getting as many opportunities to grab and go and kind of initiate and transition maybe. Yeah. I'll, it doesn't help that he didn't have a very good
0: defensive game yesterday. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, listen, I, I think the ankle, first off, yes. any, any conversation with Scotty in the last, like, week or so has to be centered around that ankle because he just doesn't look right. Um, you know, we see him, like, physically holding it sometimes. It, it's It's clearly something that's bothering him, right? So I wouldn't expect, like, pat williams to always be blowing by him or anything like that that doesn't really make sense to me but i, I think offensively what, what's been interesting this season what was with Barnes is that he's it, to me it feels like he's gotten better at complimenting the other guys right better at uh, knowing where to cut and he already had a pretty good sense of this as a rookie but even getting even better in terms of where to cut when other guys are getting double teamed um when to sort of get in for um a, a quick you know duck in for a post up um you know he's hitting threes at a higher rate uh you know you see a lot of catching shoots for him now where Fred or whoever is driving into the paint and kicking it out and Scotty's more willing to take those and he's making more of those so those are all good things for a piece that's complementary to the offense but in terms of generating and directing the offense I think that's where the initiative has to be um even more from Scotty because to be honest like Pascal was initiating like half of the team's offense maybe more so that's a huge gap made up and to me with the rest of the starters sure OG can take more shots Gary can take more shots but it ultimately comes down to Scotty has to initiate more and that doesn't necessarily mean that he needs to shoot the ball every single time or he needs to uh, record the assist every single time but when you watch the game you need to see him impacting the paint drawing a double team and then getting uh, other guys open so that you can set the the play in motion.
1: The right? one encouraging thing. And again, these are small sample numbers so far this year. Barnes has only played 127 minutes without Siakam. Um, his, his, Assist points per hundred possession. So the amount he's setting up teammates successfully uh does jump through the roof. So this okay, is that's good. this is good. primarily uh his scoring efficiency has drop drops off a cliff when see, like we're talking almost 20 percentage points of true shooting.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, but he goes from sixteen assist points per hundred to twenty-six. Right. So that's a pretty good at, at it at least looks statistically. The eye test is a little inconsistent, but it at least looks statistically that with Siakam, out Barnes is doing a, a solid job of of the playmaking, and we saw that in his triple double game too, yeah. which uh, Siakam only missed a chunk of, but mm-hmm. but that was clearly uh, the way that one went triple double. The
0: the assist on the OG oh, that was buzzer the, that, was, that was the Rajon Rondo <laughs> triple double right there. No, but um, still, I, I think for Scotty, like what's been a little bit annoying to watch in terms of your our, my expectations is sort of like I want to see him sort of create more, right? when it's sort of like he's pulling up for these mid-range jumpers uh, off the dribble and stuff like that, to me that seems like it's it, it's lacking a little bit of creativity, right? I think when you're thinking about whether that's creativity from Scotty's own end or creativity from the coaching staff, because his biggest advantage is in the post. Like, everyone's favorite player last night was him going at Alex Caruso, <laughs> taking like four or five power dribbles, and then just deciding, you know, screw this. I'm just going to go in and dunk it. And it was an amazing dunk. And then he had another play right after that where he went at Caruso – But what really stood out to me is like those are the only two times it felt like last night where he impacted the paint, right? So I think to me it's like the biggest gap right now, Pascal being out, you need somebody to be um, putting downward pressure at the the hoop. Fred's doing it, but we know Fred gets blocked a lot because he's small, right? But Scotty needs to do it a a little bit more, and the coaching staff needs to find better ways to sort of get him into those spots because that's the only way realistically where you're able to generate a decent half-court offense with Pascal out.
1: And it might have to be as simple as one or two more times a game. Barnes kind of takes that attitude and goes inside because. No, I'm one or two times more per quarter. Yeah, sure. No,
0: not not per game. If Scotty
1: Barnes tries to dunk on someone more often, no one on that coaching staff, no one in the fan base is going to be like, hey, man, you should do that less. Yes. Even if it doesn't work (laughs) out. If he's trying to yam on guys and it just doesn't work out, I, I think. I think everyone will be fine with that. But, yeah, and this isn't just about the pressure at the rim. Obviously, that's an important component of opening up everything for your offense. But without Pascal Siakam, this team, like, dramatically can't get to the free throw line also. Yeah. And that's a a problem when everything comes so hard for your offense in the half court. You don't get – like, they're called free throws for a reason. I know they had 22 attempts last night, Um, but for the most part – OG Ananobi, fewer free throw attempts when Siakam's not on the floor. Scotty Barnes,
0: a a little bit more, but barely any. So, like, we're talking less than... He's averaging less than two free throw attempts per game, playing 31 minutes a game. That's... For a guy who can dunk it like
1: that, that doesn't make sense. And he's stronger than everyone. Right. It's like, maybe sometimes he gets... I think there was one call last night. He got the kind of, the OG call of, well, you're just stronger than the guy defending you, and it looks like you (laughs) mauled him. But well, yeah. the
0: shading wasn't great last night. It's, sure. A lot of shots of Eric Lewis on the broadcast. Yeah,
1: welcome to the NBA.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um okay, so that that's the Scotty portion. I, mm-hmm. I think Fred is already doing his thing. We don't really need to cover it. I mean, if Fred gave you like what's he he's had 30 and then 27. Yeah,
1: 57 points <laughs> and
0: I think 15 assists over the two games Siakam Smith. Yeah, so literally he can't do anything more. I, also,
1: I, I, by the way, he's still wearing like the the Kyle Lowry championship belt back massager thing. Remember when Lowry would have back oh, issues yeah. and he'd wear like the the Man. cummerbund to ke- to heat up his lower back and stuff? Fred's doing this while still wearing that. He really is Kyle's protege,
0: man, in every single way. He's like, oh, Kyle had a bad back at this age. Me too, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Wait no. until Fred takes up golf. Oh, no. oh man! I honestly, it's, he does seem like a guy who would kind of like it. Um, but in any case, yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see if he starts taking up dissing Josh Lewenberg as well in the pressers. <laughs> um, okay, but but OG and Gary, the other two starters. Um, I, I guess Coloco is starting in place right now. It, realistically, we know what Coloco can do. Just try to finish more of your layups and dunks, right? Um, but OG and Gary, those two guys, do you want to see OG initiate more? Yes. In Pascal's absence? Yes. Okay, so that's and, a yes. And
1: part of it is because I think that, now some of this doesn't come through statistically over the years because of his role, but OG is like a pretty natural playmaker. Not run a pick and roll and, and pick out a teammate, but when it comes to finding cutters or improvising in the middle of a play. He's really good at that stuff. Um and I think the Raptors have tried a little bit to get OG moving off the ball and becoming a weapon away from the ball. Um like there was the one play 2 nights ago um where he came off kind of the the elbow down screen or the elbow uh step up screen and, and got the lob um mm. right off the timeout. Yeah, I think yeah. I think they're trying to do a little bit more of that stuff. Um, it's tough because like, I think he's pretty conscious of not commanding too much. And this is where, you know, you can't... I don't think you can really tell him and Gary at the same time, hey, you both need to initiate more Mm. because those are just two guys that are used to being play finishers for the most part. But I do think OG has, you know, after Fred and Scotty, the most natural playmaking instincts of guys that are are in the rotation. So I, I wouldn't mind the ball being in his hands a little bit. It's just the ISO scoring just hasn't come along at all. So no, you got to get a little more creative with it um, with some of those, you know, Iverson play types like the, the cut across the right. the free throw line around a couple screens and, and initiate from an advent, advantageous point instead of kind of one-on-one.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing too is just because he, I mean, people want this out all the time. It's pretty obvious. You're just watching it. Like he, he turns the ball over a lot on his drives, whether that's charges, yeah. whether that's losing this uh, control of the ball, whether that's getting stripped, like, it it just doesn't seem to have the dexterity or the coordination to always finish some of those drives. But to me, it's just like, it, it, uh, no matter what, like, obviously, you're still going to need somebody to initiate some of those plays, right? Like, for most sets, you would have to have one primary ball handler, which Fred's able to give you right now. One secondary ball handler, which ideally OG and Gary can, uh, you know, serve those roles. Uh, and then hopefully Scotty can be closer to primary than secondary, right? And and just so you can mix and match the lineups, because genuinely speaking, the rest of the lineups don't really have that. Um, you're you're gonna need the ball in OG's hands to create for you, and I do trust him. But at the same time, he's just got to limit the turnovers. Like, mm-hmm. is there is there one thing that's standing out to you in terms of just like can he cut down? Because right now he's he's driving seven times a game, and he's he's uh, he's turning over one point one times. On those seven drives, that's like a a six of the drives or seven of the drives literally are are going as turnovers.
1: And yeah, if you if you look at just like kind of one one
0: on one isolation
1: plays, he's only had he's only been credited with 10 isolations this year, three turnovers. That's that's a thirty yeah. percent quick math there. Three and, out of ten is thirty percent. That's a big. This, this, is, why a you're big the, this rate. is
0: why you're the numbers guy. No, yeah. but seriously though, like that, and and an isolation should be a play where you really have a low turnover. That's play. the whole point. Yeah, you're not. You're literally not passing on the mm-hmm. play. So anyway.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I don't. I think some of this is still the handle. Some of this is still recognizing at this point. Like I know OG's still young-ish, and he wants to expand his game, and, and the Raptors want to give him the freedom to do that a little bit. But year six, mm-hmm. I, I think maybe, at least in spots like last night where the team just really needs something. Like if you're up 15 and you want to improvise and, and kind of freelance some offensive stuff and, and have the the runway to do that from the coaching staff, awesome. Uh, a night like last night, it's, it's more of a, well, we got to trim off the stuff that we know doesn't work very, yes, very well or, or doesn't work efficient. right now. And, and I don't know how much of that is... I don't think OG is, like, unilaterally deciding that. He only took 12 field goal attempts last night and was the only guy who could get to the line. Yeah. Um, yeah, So I don't want to be critical of him. I just mean moving forward over this next little bit. Like, I don't see a reason why OG can't be, you know, 18, 19 point-a-game guy with Pascal Siakam out.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, And then lastly, Gary, what can can Gary be doing more? I mean, he can always be passing more, but he had four assists last night,
0: which is – Yeah, that's got to be – that might be a career high. I'm going to look into it. Yeah. Like um, a Family record for assists. Oh come on, man! <laughs> no, Gary Trent is in the studio. I know. Regularly, I so. know.
1: Um, it was, he was a walking
0: triple double. Yeah, that man.
1: It was a season high, at least <laughs> for Gary Trent. Okay. Um, no, I think you know. I don't think Gary's role actually changes that much. I
0: think. Okay. Yeah. Same. I, just watching it, he's not playing differently. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you know, it, it can maybe even help Gary Trent in some cases if Christian Coloco Looks like he does Sunday and is a pick and roll threat for Fred Van Vliet because that's going to bring a tagger over and yeah. that's going to leave, you know, maybe it's OGN and Obi that's in the corner, but maybe it's Gary Trent or, or maybe, you know, Gary Trent finds opportunities kind of lift out of there and, and get into his one dribble against a, a scattered defender kind of stuff. I, mm. I don't think Gary's role changes a ton. I just sure. think he he should have about the same diet uh, of shots. just It's just the usual Gary stuff of don't do too much. Like, do right. the Gary Trent roll card things.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it with him, it's interesting because it's just like, if he's hot, the ball is going to find him more. Mm-hmm. And if he's not, the, the Raptors probably don't find him as much and Nick probably doesn't play him as much. So, Gary's Gary, regardless of who's on the floor. You know, I actually really love that quality about him. A that lot of is, other players are context dependent, not Gary. It's, look, that that can be a problem,
1: like the old Boston Red Sox thing of, oh, that's just Manny being Manny. And the point of that is, well, he does so many good things that you look past the odd time he does a a goofy thing. Um, I think there is some... Usefulness to knowing exactly how a guy is going to play and exactly how like Gary Trent Jr. You don't really have to worry about what lineup he's out. If the ball comes to him, he'll shoot it. Yeah, and you'll have some spacing in those lineups. It's just yeah, you you should probably play him in lineups where someone can actually pass to him.
0: That's, yeah, all. that's What fair. I I have a question for you? I, yeah, yeah. actually, maybe we can save it for the be- the bench side because it's Thad related. So okay, all right. Yeah. Wow, we're gonna we're gonna tease more Thad Young talk on the next us have this break. No, but seriously, we we will talk about the bench as well. Um, always diving into. Everything, basketball, Toronto Raptors related with uh, Blake Murphy. So um, I'm your host, Willu. You're listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Brett Rivers Sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bett Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19+. Available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connext Ontario at one 531 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. The most opinionated maple leaf show out there. Real kipper and born. Be sure to subscribe
1: and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, William Lou. Continue to joined by Blake Murphy. And, okay, so we teased Thad Young talk before going to break, which I, I don't know how many people were staying in their cars to listen for more Thad Young talk. They said, ooh, maybe I, I won't uh, pay for parking right now. Maybe you see
1: how active...
0: Mrs. Thad Young is on
1: Raptors Twitter during games. She's she's stayed locked in for this yeah. one for sure. Okay. Especially if if we're gonna advocate for more Thad Young minutes. Well, this is what we're gonna do right here. We gotta advocate for more retweets. Thad Young minutes.
0: Yeah. Okay, so um, first and foremost, the, the the bench usage this season. I think Nick has more options to use off the bench, which has been nice. I thought that a good example of that was on Sunday when Precious and Gary were just really underperforming. They were able to turn to Thad and Otto to essentially play the same roles but be more consistent, those guys being vets and stuff like that. Um, So I think Nick has more options off the bench than last year, which is actually hard to, you know, not accomplish based on how bad the bench (laughs) was last year. But um, I still am curious in terms of how Nick wants to use the bench though because the start of the fourth quarter last night, the lineup on the floor, and whatever, the Raptors were down somewhere in between 10 and 20 points. It's not like a complete, uh, you know, no chance at a win there, probably like a 5% chance at a win. But in any case, the start of the fourth quarter, the wrap is open with Malachi Flynn, Delano Banton, OJ Anobi, Wancho Hernan Gomez, and Precious Ochua. There is no way that Nick Nurse and his coaching staff came up with that at any given point other than at the start of the fourth quarter. They're like, let's just throw these guys out there and see what happens. My point is, though, like the bench is being used in a way that, you know, doesn't feel optimal optimal doesn't feel productive the Raptors bench hasn't been that productive in general anyway outside of Chris Boucher who finally had one bad game yesterday and if the whole bench just kind of cratered with him. so um yeah so I I guess my question we'll start here who should be the six seven eight nine when everyone's healthy do you want to you want to see some charts no, let, let's use okay. Do <laughs> you want me to
1: turn Blake. my computer around? No, again. Blake, come on, man, um, yeah, do your thing. Show, no, show no, me. no, I, I won't, but uh, I will say that PBP stats tracks you know how often a team plays and how well a team plays with certain uh number of starters on. Raptors, by far, the best team in the league uh, when they have four starters on the floor, and they do that pretty frequently. Right, one of the best teams in the league when they have three starters on the floor. So as long as three of those. Regular starters are on the floor. The Raptors are in pretty good shape. So once you get down to two, sometimes even one, now they don't do one very often, uh, but with fewer than three starters on the floor, the Raptors are the worst team in the
0: league. Oh, okay, great.
1: And it's not particularly close.
0: Oh, man. So
1: that's where you're talking <laughs> that's, about that's so tough. two starters on the floor is manageable, right? Like uh-huh, you can, uh-huh. you can come up, say you only had eight guys that you trusted. You can come up with a rotation pattern that keeps two guys on the floor at all time. So you have one of Fred and Pascal and one of Scotty Barnes and OG on the court at all times. Say you can do that. But when you get down to, you have to have a third guy with that. So it's like, okay, one of those groups needs Gary. And then one of those groups needs you know, one guy from the other side, like Siakam's got to play extra minutes or Fred does that gets really tough. And then, you know, that's, that's like playoff thinking, right? Like, Mm. Oh, if the rotation is going to go down to seven or eight, who has the most utility in this specific matchup? And that's a different conversation than who has the most utility over 82. So I'd say unquestionably Chris Boucher is number six. He's been their best bench player. He has not his best game yesterday.
0: I mean, it was pretty bad yesterday.
1: But generally, he has been really, really good. Um, You see that for the second year in a row, that bears out in the advanced stats. That bears out in the counting stats. Um, However however you chop it up, Boucher has been their best bench player so far. Yeah. Even I don't complain about Chris anymore. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, that's for that's, other reasons. That's the biggest step. Once he said Blake Murphy Tuesday, then he was good in your books. Um, no, nah, but Chris was being a Raptor show stand Is, is, yeah. is a, was a development I didn't see coming. He's uh, like, yeah, man, I watched your show. I know Blake Murphy Tuesday. So I was like, what? Oh, wow.
1: Okay, we got to be friends now. Um, okay. You guys be friends. Um, I would uh, say the next person up, and this is more, this is not based on how they're playing right this second. This is based on... And this is, I guess, where if we're talking 82 games versus if we're talking the next game, this changes. Because I actually think with Siakam out and with the starting lineup the way it is right now, Fad Young should be playing more minutes because Fad Young's most useful when he's playing alongside other starters. Like, he – you wouldn't do this because Chris Boucher and Precious Chu and Christian Coloco have roles and need to continue developing and stuff. But – Say one starter came out and you had five minutes to win and that was it. Mm-hmm. Like five minutes, this five-minute stretch got you Wemby if you if you win these five minutes and one starter's out. Thad Young is probably the guy who best fits with the starting five dropped in there. Mm. That hurts your rotations the rest of the game. It, it yeah. doesn't take development stuff into account. But Thad is such a multiplier and dot connector that you drop him in with better players, he's going to have even more of an impact. Yes. So um, I would say right now, while Siakam's out, Thad Young should be playing a little more. Even last night, you saw he didn't take a field goal attempt, but he had three assists like right away. Yeah, Though yeah, yeah. they
0: just put him in the post. First off, okay, so it allows some of the Raptors other guys like fred like og like even gary to just be scoring off ball they don't have to like get the they don't have to have the ball break down the first defender maybe break down a second defender draw a third defender kick out all this stuff you just give it to that in the post guys can work off the ball you can have off ball screening and stuff like that it just organizes the offense and plus you can trust him to actually serve his role on a consistent basis obviously he's not as athletic as some of the other guys anymore but he's in the right spaces most of the time. He could take a charge here or there. Like He's very good. I, I don't understand why Nick didn't play him early in the season. I mean, he,
1: yeah, I, I, there are a lot of power forwards to get
0: minutes for,
1: and okay. some of them are younger, and um, I, don't, I don't really have a good answer for it, but I'd say with Siakam out, it, it's pretty straightforward, and you, you saw even a tiny bit these last two games. The Bulls didn't do it as much as maybe I would have expected, mm. but if teams start zoning the Raptors up more because they can't, do much without Pascal Siakam in the half court. Um, you know, Thad's kind of your most natural zone buster as a as a playmaker as well, right? The guy to flash to the middle. Yep. Now, yep. you want to get Scotty Barnes and OG reps doing that so they get used to it too. That's fine, um, but we're we, talking about the bench right now. Yeah.
0: Those guys aren't usually in with the bench. You
1: know? Yeah, so I, I think right now, while Pascal's out, uh, that has more of a, a role. Now, I, a bigger picture, like over the, the long haul, Precious Achua is eventually going to have to play more. He's eventually going to have to play better, but I haven't really thought he's been bad defensively. He's just he's back to
0: the field goal percentage being criminally low. Yeah. Okay. Where, where, where do we stand with Precious right now? Um, I think we've seen Nick eat a lot of his minutes and give those to uh, Coloco. Yeah. Um, Raptors but was obviously playing forty
1: percent from the floor as a center. Like you, you can understand going away from it when it's I mean, not going well.
0: But I, I feel I, like Christian is also in the forties for percentages. Yeah. But at least Christian only takes the right shots in the sense that he's only just trying to, like, do a layup. He's shooting 42.5%, so <laughs> narrowly
1: oh, better than Oh, man. Uh, we might have the least efficient centers in the league. <laughs> Tell you what, I will not bring up uh, the percentile ranks among centers for those field goal percentages at the rim. I just won't do that to
0: you guys. Yeah, that's, uh, that's tough. Christian denying shots at both ends of the floor at the basket. But no, but seriously, though, no. <laughs> it's... I think that's where Nick has another option as compared to last year, right? It Last year, Precious got the start at center. Um, he got several starts. Nowadays, it's Christian who's getting those starts now. Christian has started like six out of the Raptors' first 11 games here. Um, had he not been drafted, what probably would have been Precious in this kind of role? Do you think Precious having to play more exclusively with the bench rather than taking some time with the starters is hurting his efficiency a little bit maybe? Maybe, but it shouldn't be, right? Like
1: if you're... Yeah, I agree. I, I get that there's a component of it that well you're playing with slightly lesser players, and maybe those guys don't know how to get you in the ball in your spots as well, but you're also playing against bench bigs and you are playing as part of a defensive unit. That's all about chaos and transition. And we know the Achua Boucher duo works really well together when we, we get enough of a sample with it. So I don't really know. I, I don't think that, like, I don't think playing more bench minutes is why he's shooting 40%. I think he's missing a lot of shots.
0: Yeah. And also the three ball has not come around for him. Right. I, he feels like he's making more free throws at least, which is nice. But um, I owe him an apology, by the way. I did
1: just look it up. He's actually shooting 73% at the rim this year. It's just everywhere else he's not making oh,
0: shots. Oh, awesome. Well, uh, you know, you got to start somewhere. Um, Baby steps. This is the least favorite question, but I have probably asked you this very same question. Like, at least four or five other times on blake murphy tuesday about malachi flynn is no it's oh i guess it is actually uh can either malachi or delano actually contribute the raptors second unit i can't i can't believe i'm looking at Goran Dragic with the bulls and i'm like damn they can really use that like why are we having the same combo now but seriously those two guys neither of them have like done anything in their spot
1: so i i do wonder if there's a little bit of a disconnect maybe between front office and coaching staff when it comes to Malachi Flynn. Like them picking up his option and not addressing the point guard depth at all in the offseason. Like I get they're committed oh, to.
0: Jeff down Jr.,
1: baby. He's been the best 905 player so far through mm. two games. Home mm. opener on Thursday, by the way, in Mississauga. That's right. Um, you gonna be there? No, because I'm on the air till seven now. Oh, okay. I can't get out to Mississauga that quickly. It's a very good excuse. A very, very good excuse. And they don't have a weekend or afternoon home game uh-huh. until the new year, except for the one at Scotiabank Arena.
0: Mm, fair enough. So
1: I'll, I'll get one game in before the new year. No,
0: nah, look, you got to go see your boy Eric Corey, man.
1: You know, the king of halftime adjustments down 24 at, at half the other in, in the opener or down 24 in the first half or something. They come back and win. Damn. Unbelievable. Did the um, numbers tell him that.
0: No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, it's so funny how we just pigeonhole these people. Yeah, he's a he's he's a he's a full fully fledged head coach. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. Um, so yeah, so, Malachi which one of these guys? Come on. Man. Look,
1: Fred Van Vliet was out and neither of them played a role, really. And I think that that tells you a lot. And I think that not only Fred Van Vliet was out and they didn't really play a role. If you're looking at Malachi Flynn specifically, that first game against Chicago, where they play a pretty exclusively a drop coverage with Nikola Vucevic, mm-hmm. and they are willing to give your point guards the pull-up mid-range jumper, and they have lots of guards for him to guard, like that's a Malachi Flynn game. Yeah, he can guard Caruso the other way down the floor, sure. um, or Drogic, and then even
0: Javante Green.
1: Like, and there's like, lots of places to hide him. Like the whole, a lot of the Malachi Flynn stuff over the first two years and change has been there's a misalignment in what that guy is and what the scheme is, right? Like he Mm -hmm, is not a, first of all, defensively, he's more of a conservative like him and Delano are polar opposites in terms of defensive style, right? Like Delano is getting into a guy using his length, fighting over every screen, making mistakes, but also poking a lot of balls free. Malachi Flynn is a sit back, be a little more conservative, play smart positionally, concede that jumper, but, that's a low percentage shot and yeah. we'll get the defense to go. Right. And that doesn't really fit. And then at the other end, Malachi Flynn is not like a push, push, push and transition play at a frenetic pace guy in college. He was one of the best pick and roll orchestrators in college basketball. Sure. And now he's on a team that
0: Never at least
1: last year ran the least pick and roll in all of basketball. Yeah. I do wonder, could he develop some sort of chemistry with Coloco when Coloco eventually moves back to the bench? Because that's a natural pick and roll point guard at a pick and roll big. Um, But I don't know. I just don't think they're going to force minutes his way at this point. Like if he didn't play when Van Bleet's out and he didn't play against a drop heavy team where there's obvious guys for him to guard. I don't know what the situation is where he gets into more playing time. I do think that it would help. And I don't know that it would help the performance, but it would at least help the evaluation. It would help the coaching staff. I think if instead of Flynn plays six minutes, Delano plays eight minutes, Flynn plays eight minutes, Delano plays four yeah. minutes or whatever. The first half, second half, guys got
0: a turn approach.
1: Pick one guy, ride with it for a little bit, live with the
0: bumps, Did and they then. Do that with Delano though. They kind of picked Delano at the start of the year, and then they they right. But the, Flynn didn't get his. Okay, all right. So at, you're saying it's Flynn's turn to get. I'm them. not advocating for a ton
1: of Malachi Flynn minutes. Right. I just think if you are eventually going to find some backup point guard minutes, like you picked up Flynn's option for next year, at some point you got to see if he can be give you backup minutes.
0: Yeah. It's tough man.
1: Or not. Maybe it's just Fred and a bunch of 6 foot 9 guys and they they just really really believe in not needing a, yeah. an extra pair of hands with the bench.
0: Um big picture when we look ahead to the trade deadline, the big trick, the big picture ideal trade is to get that star, you know, first name Kevin, last name Durant, you know kind of thing. Um the the, the little picture stuff, if you're going to just try to add more pieces to the bench the way the Raptors have been steadily doing with adding Thad last year and then it signing Otto, both I think pretty good pickups. Please find that guard, you know, like Eric the,
1: Gordon, Eric Gordon, expiring contract on the Rockets 21 million. So you can almost get their money wise with like chem thad and uh, a lower salary piece.
0: Okay, I wouldn't mind. Yeah, that's that wouldn't mind. I,
1: it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but I'm watching yeah. the Rockets Magic game like a lunatic the <laughs> no, other day. What are
0: you watching that and, for, man? Only, the only person watching that game should be Victor Young and,
1: <laughs> and it's like, huh, Eric Gordon to... and Terrence Ross, both having good games, both pending free agents, both oh,
0: shooting guards with, with real three-point range. Both can handle just a tiny bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, listen, I, I'm not asking for that much. I, I just do think they need one more bench guard. I think the Raptors yeah. know that, obviously. Like, the, you know, the, the the trade talks, obviously, you know, there were interest in Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. He would have been a great piece when I was watching. Because every single game I watched, I'm like, oh, Dallas. Ooh, you know who would be nice off the Raptors bench? Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah. I'll put the $5 Bulls. down right now that yeah. we will hear at
1: some point this year, once again, Raptors interested in Miles Turner. Because that'll come oh, up again man. as well.
0: Um, no, because Raptor fans click. At the end of the day, yeah, no matter what, Raptor fans will click on your content. You they know? will. So, Miles Turner. Once I again, do think. Huh? I do think I'd be looking
1: more in the in the backcourt, like someone who can handle yes. a little bit and, yes. and score a little bit, put some pressure on the rim, hit some three. I, I think Eric Gordon is like. Obviously, that's not the top tier of guy, but no. if you're talking about skill and role fit, that you could find your way to the money working without giving up one of your core pieces, I, I think that's going to be on the higher end of what you're looking at.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, I've been be throwing Yaka Portal and and uh, Doug McDermott at people just as a combo trade package with the Spurs, maybe. Address a little bit, but I don't, I don't think he fully fits in this discussion. But listen, we'll have lots I, I of time to talk about I saw a number of, that.
1: in that Spurs game, I saw a number of people tweeting like, Doug McDermott's still here? Like, he's still, Where he just pops be, up. Man? He only plays against the Raptors is that's the fair. thing.
0: All right, we're running out of time. That does it for us today. I'm your host, Willu. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the and Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. Thanks again to Blake Murphy, our broad producer, Derek Brandale, and Jennifer Olin for helping us with the YouTube stream. I'll be back to talk here tomorrow.